0: Ladies, I'm going to open us in prayer. Father, I come before you grateful for so many things, including Jesus and the scriptures that you have given us to know and love him more. And as I teach and as any of us learn, we are always dependent upon your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. And so, Spirit, I would just ask that you would enlighten each one of us to understand uh, the scriptures a little more tonight, that we would know and understand and love jesus a little more tonight than we did when we walked in the door and that we would bring him great glory for who he is and all that he's accomplished it's in jesus name we pray amen welcome excited to see all of you it's summer women in the word which means that we're all kind of in and out of town so any week that you're here we are glad to see you i know she's going to be royally embarrassed but i just want to say happy birthday to amy smith whose birthday is today And she is here with us at Bible study. So happy birthday, Amy. (laughs) If you weren't here with us last week, that's totally fine. I'm going to catch you up in just a minute. Um, I do want to kind of, by way of introduction, just share three things before we get started. One is I love this passage that we're going to study tonight, it is so incredibly fantastic and deep and exciting. And I really could study and talk about it. for weeks and weeks. And so I am super excited about it. Um, the second thing I want to say is that every week I'm going to try to bring in, as we'll explain a little bit more in just a minute, some different things from our culture. And tonight, some of the things we're going to bring in there's a seriousness to the tone, as well as a lack of political correctness, probably for sure, to some of the things we're going to talk about tonight. And so, um, though it's always my preference to have a l- lot of jokes and funny pictures and whatever, tonight there's going to be a seriousness to our tone, which I think you'll understand and appreciate. But since I can't do a lot of funny stories and pictures, I did the next best thing. I went to Target and bought three pounds of chocolate, which is here on the floor. So I know you've had a long day. If you get a little tired, feel free to come up and grab some chocolate. I'll just have some chocolate breaks throughout where tables that have been paying good attention can come get <laughs> some chocolate. And- Tables that haven't, sorry. Um, (laughs) It was my way of being creative since I couldn't really do it through the lecture. Carrie thinks I'm nuts. Um, And the third thing that I want to express as we get started is what I hope tonight does is illustrate some of the significance in this passage as well as prompts you to want to go and learn more. I remember when I was taking Greek and working really hard to, like, learn my Greek letters so I could understand the New Testament better. And I walked into my professor's office. He was the Greek and Hebrew, nonetheless, professor. And I see on his whiteboard this, like, sentence in Greek that he's, like, grammatically defining and parsing out. And I'm kind of looking at him like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm still learning, trying to figure out what it is, understanding more. And to me, one of the exciting things about... The scriptures in Christ is that we get to learn. And there are going to be things we talk about tonight that are semester-long topics in seminary, from world religions to heresies and cults to some apologetics to Christology, soteriology. It's going to be super awesome. But I know that I, even this week, my roommate made a joke. She'd been gone for a week, and she came in, and she said, it's funny when you walk in the door and you see in the middle of the kitchen table your exegetical Greek linguistic book, which is what I had out because there's such depth here. It's going to be so cool. So I hope that we are all prompted to kind of just want to go out and learn a little bit more. So those are my explanations before we get started. And so for those of you who weren't here last week, or if you were to remind us kind of what we're doing in Colossians, it is a letter that's written from Paula and Timothy to a bunch of Christians who are at Colossae. We learned last week that it's a pretty good group of Christians. They're not openly, to our knowledge, intentionally doing a bunch of terrible things. But some things have come up that Epaphras, who knows them well, is concerned about. And so Epaphras tells Paul and Timothy, who've never met the Colossians, but they love them anyway, goes and tells them some of these things. And Paul and Timothy write a letter because they're concerned about some of the things that are going on. And I've put at the top of your outline... ...the verse that I want us to keep in mind as we study through this... ...for why this letter was written. And part of it is that Paul and Timothy have written this letter... ...that their, meaning the Colossians, hearts may be encouraged... ...being knit together in love... ...to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding... ...and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ... ...in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So just to recap... They want the Colossian believers to be encouraged. They want them to be knit together in love, to understand the fullness of who Christ is and all the treasures and wisdom that he has. And then they also want them to not be deluded by plausible arguments. Some things have come up that are sound kind of good, and so some people are buying into them, and Paul and Timothy are concerned, and they say, hey, wait a minute, we don't want you to be pulled away. And so specifically tonight, we're going to look at some very... Seemingly on the surface, perhaps plausible arguments, and look specifically at how we can be pulled away by them. If I were to add to our title, which obviously I'm not, Christ in Colossians, I would want to add Christ in Colossians and in 2012. Because every week I'm trying to bring some things to the surface that are plausible arguments that you and I face on a pretty regular basis. Because Paul and Timothy, as we learned last week, are desiring of the good life for us, the encouragement, the fullness of life in Christ, and because we want that, we want to understand and take the things that they were telling the folks in Colossae and also apply them to us in 2012. So every week, we're going to look at some of those different things, including tonight. So um, tonight, as we talk, um, you know, thinking about, again, every week, there's some cultural things we're going to bring up, and this one is... um, How many of you have heard in the past week or read a book or watched a movie that had some sort of argument or something it was saying about heaven or hell or Jesus or Christianity? Most everyone's got an opinion on it, even if your opinion on it is there really is no eternity, you just die. Most everyone has an opinion, and I would suggest that most people care what happens. And because there are so many philosophies and arguments and considerations out there about heaven and hell and eternity, I think it's worthwhile that we look at some of them specifically, because some of them, to many people, are pretty plausible. And Paul didn't want the Colossians to be pulled away from the truth and to not experience an abundant life. And in the same way, I don't want us to be pulled away from and get to experience the abundant life that we may have in Christ. Um, If you are here and um, you are checking out Christianity, I'm excited for you to maybe hear tonight hopefully in a loving way, just some of the things that make Christianity distinctive. If you've been looking at some of those explanations for Jesus and eternity and heaven and hell, and you're just not real sure, well, what's the difference? Don't they all, aren't they all kind of the same thing? My hope tonight is that you would maybe just get to see some of the things that are distinctives so that maybe you can be able to weigh and look at those a little bit differently. So let's head on in to Colossians. And we are going to be in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 23. I'm going to read those out loud, and then we are going to get to learn some awesome things. Okay. In verse 13, he, which is actually referring to the Father, so I just put that in there, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. You may or may not have gotten to in your group discussion to kind of break this passage down, and I wanted us to look a little bit at who the scriptures say that Jesus is, because like we've said, there are a lot of opinions out there, so I'd like to know... What Jesus says about who he is. And I'd like to know what he says about what he's accomplished. Because there are also, as we'll see, a lot of opinions about that. And so I just want us to really kind of delve in and look at those things. There will be some things later where being exact is really important. For this, if you put something in one category instead of the other, it's not stressful at all. I just want us to kind of look at this and see who is Christ and what has he accomplished. What does he say about that? And as you're going through these things, I want us to understand them and then maybe even in your own mind, kind of be comparing them to some of the things you've heard or maybe some of the things that you talked around your table about things and messages that you have gotten at different times in your life. We are still um, facilitating everything in this room. Some of the AV stuff isn't here yet. And so, I'm going to have to look over my shoulder because normally you can just have your computer here and I don't have to look awkward. But the only way was to have this really long cord dropping right here. And so this afternoon we were in here looking at it and I thought, that's going to be awkward. So I'm going to have to look over my shoulder, but that's why. And we are going to learn a lot. Okay, let's head back to the beginning of verse 13. He, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Okay, so if we look at Christ and who he is, we learn from this passage that he has a kingdom and that at least something we learn about this kingdom is that it's an opposition, front, opposition to or different from the domain of darkness. So Jesus has a kingdom. All right, what else do we learn? We learn about Christ in verse 14 that in him... We have redemption in the forgiveness of sins. Now, obviously, there's an immense amount behind that. But not everyone, as we're going to see in a little bit in our culture, would believe this. So I want us to look at the fact that this is who Jesus is saying he is and what he's accomplished. That he has accomplished not part, but all of the forgiveness of sins. And what that means is that when Jesus died on the cross, he took all of my sin Upon himself, and he took the penalty for it so that I could be forgiven and be right before God. The scriptures tell us that Jesus has accomplished that. We see that right here. So he has a kingdom, he has accomplished redemption and forgiveness of sins. Let's keep going and see what else he's done or accomplished. We see that he is the image of the invisible God. Obviously, in the way that I'm sitting here looking at at Misty Denman right now, God is not visible in that same way. And so when Jesus came and lived on earth, he portrayed that image. He was who God is as he lived and walked here. And the people that were alive when Jesus was alive had never seen God in that way before. So it's important that we know that he is the one that carried that image because they'd never seen God in that kind of visible way before. He has As he walked the earth, he had the image of the invisible God. And then, also, we see that he's the firstborn of all creation. Now, this phrase, it's very important that we kind of talk about that for a minute... ...because some of the things we're going to read in a little bit... ...take this phrase and make it say something else, which we're going to look at in a minute. Firstborn of all creation. That word firstborn can mean two different things as we read the scripture... It can literally mean the first person that was born. Misty was talking about her first son. There is a sense in which that is Misty's firstborn son. There's something else that we don't have as much in our culture right now, but some cultures do, and they definitely did in the Bible times, that firstborn meant the one who was preeminent, of the greatest prominence. As we look and read some of the Old Testament stories, we see that firstborn son being treated differently. And so with that firstborn of all creation, we see that it is illustrating for us that Christ is the preeminent. Because we also read in Genesis that Adam was born first, so it wouldn't make sense to be talking about Adam. And so we see here that the firstborn means that Christ is the one that has prominence and preeminence. To further convince you, because this is a significant argument that we're going to find in some different religions, look with me at the end of verse 18. We'll see, and we'll talk about it in a minute, it's describing Jesus as the firstborn from the dead. So we're left with, okay, well, does firstborn mean the first literal one born from the dead, or does it mean of preeminence or most importance? What is the last word in that verse? Preeminent. Preeminent. So even the text itself is telling us which definition we should take. So when we see firstborn of all creation, it's the one that's preeminent. Jesus is preeminent and of the greatest prominence in all of creation. Okay, let's keep going. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This next phrase, I've just gone and taken it kind of straight from the text. You don't have to write all those words down. It's basically verse 16, if you just want to put that verse 16. We see that he has created all things, that's a pretty bold statement, in heaven and on earth. And then this phrase here, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, if we had time, I could cross-reference and show you this. Most of the commentators believe that that's actually referring to ranks of angels. So, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, ranks of angels. So he's created all things in heaven and on earth, including angels. So he's preeminent, and we're seeing that not only is he preeminent and prominent over humanity, he's preeminent over all of the hierarchy and ranks of angels. And then look at that end statement. We're flying through all this, but, because we have to for time. But look at this statement. All things were created through him and for him. I mean, meditate on that for a month. That is amazing right there. Everything was created through him. He did it all, and it was for him. That's an incredibly significant statement that helps us see why we should look at him as the preeminent firstborn one of all creation. I mean, that puts a little context on that. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 17. Who is he? He is before all things. We're going to come back. This phrase is going to have significant in a minute, significance in a minute because there were some that will say he was not before all things. And so this phrase is significant. The scriptures also tell us that in him all things hold together. Again, the fact that you and I and the chairs and your pencil and your pen... Everything right now is being held together because of and by Jesus. Pretty amazing. Love this passage. Okay, who is Jesus? He's the head of the body, the church. He's the source. He's the authority. He's in charge, the provider. He is the head of this body. And what else? We're getting this phrase again. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, as we look at this phrase, the preeminence we see here, we've just talked about how he was preeminent and prominent in creation. We've just been looking at that. And we're moving into, as we see him as the head of the church, we're going to move in here to seeing what he's accomplished for the church. We see that as the firstborn from the dead, the father raised him from the dead before he's raising Anyone else who is a believer in Jesus, he's raising him. And so we see him becoming the preeminent one in this new creation that's coming about. Some of the phrases I read were, it illustrates that he's the founder of a new humanity in himself to replace the old humanity that was in Adam. His own resurrection is in anticipation and guarantee of the resurrection that all his brothers and sisters will enjoy. He's the prominent, preeminent one in the physical creation of all things, and he's the prominent, preeminent one in the new creation, in this kingdom of believers, kingdom of Christians, who will be raised from the dead and get to spend eternity with him. Again, be thinking about all of these things, and if what you've heard lately on TV or different, from different friends, different people, is it matching with this or not? We're going to look at it more specifically, but be thinking about this. And let's allow ourselves. Paul was concerned because people had come into the Colossians and given them plausible arguments about why some things about Christ weren't true. As we're working through this list, my guess is that coming to your mind as to mind are a lot of plausible arguments that I've heard that don't match this list. So just as Paul and Timothy were concerned for the Colossians, we need to be careful of and aware of what we are hearing in our culture because, again, we want the good life. We started off with we want the encouragement. We want all of these things that Paul is writing this book for. And so we need to be just as aware as they did of the multitude of plausible arguments that we hear. All right, let's keep going. We're almost done, and then I'll give some people chocolate. Okay. All right, huge phrase. Every phrase is huge. I say that every time. It's so great. Okay, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. The fullness of God. Everything about God, the Father, it's in Jesus. The fullness of God. That means Jesus is God. Some religions, some people will tell you Jesus was a lot of things, but they don't think he's God. This passage here where Jesus is describing himself, Here is that the fullness of God dwells in him, which means he's God as he's defining himself. Okay. What about, what else did he accomplish? We talked about a little of this earlier. Through him he reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, And again, you can just put on there the verses I've basically copied. You who are alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Okay, this is... I know I've been standing in front of you. This is who the scriptures are telling us that Jesus is. Paul and Timothy are saying to the Colossians... You may have heard a lot of things, but I want to tell you who he is so that when you hear other things that are pulling you away and making promises, you'll know which ones are true and which ones aren't so that you won't be deluded by plausible arguments. Are we good? He wants some chocolate? Starla, come on up and get some for your table. She was bold enough to say it. Take some for your table, babe. <laughs> okay. Now, I want to take this. We're going to come back to some of this in a little bit. But I want to take this and make it a little more... Oh, good. Come right on up. <laughs> See? To be the extroverted, bold people, are actually people who know me, <laughs> benefit. So feel free. Come on up. And i have about... up. Oh, good. Emily. I bought my favorite kinds which have Reese's and Kit Kat. So there are a few less Reese's and Kit Kat right now than there were <laughs> 30 minutes ago when I opened the bag, just so you know. <laughs> totally my favorite. All right. We are going to look specifically at some world religions and cults, and I just want us to compare what those things say with what we've just read in the scriptures. And I want to say just real quickly, I know that sometimes when we talk about a religion, some people can feel like, oh, she's attacking that person or that religion or whatever. I want to explain kind of what we're doing. I've just taken the book that says that it describes Christianity, which is the Bible, and put up there on the screen what it says. And we're just going to take and compare it with some of the writings of these other cults and religions that are out there i'm not intending to attack in any way i just want us to compare and see if they're the same thing and if they're not what the differences are and what kind of difference what kind of how big is the difference is it one of those things that doesn't really matter is it one of those things that does matter so in a very calm loving way. I just want us to kind of do that, and I think it's okay to just kind of compare and contrast and see what's there. Okay, the first one we're going to look at, I've pulled some descriptions of some of the documents that are used to describe Islam, and I just want to look a little bit at what some of their writings in the Quran say about Jesus and Christianity. In the Quran it clearly denies the crucifixion of Jesus. It says they the Jews said in boast, "We killed Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, the messenger of Allah." But they killed him not, nor crucified him. But so it was made to appear to them. And those who differ therein are full of doubts, with no certain knowledge, but only conjecture to follow, for a surety they killed him not. Okay. So Islam, as it's speaking about Christ and about what he's accomplished, it is indicating that according to that religion, it says that Jesus didn't die. Now, I want us to kind of take and compare with what we just read about Jesus. Read with me verses 20 and 21. And see if you see in here anything that speaks about whether Jesus died. If you do, underline it. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So clearly we have a distinction here. We have the Quran, which is the book of Islam, saying one thing about Jesus. And then we have the scriptures saying something else. So... Is it one of those things that's a big deal that it disagrees on? You know, I'm sure that every one of us who, who's a Christian, um, and if you're not, again, it's okay, glad you're here. We could all sit around, and there are going to be some things that we may not exactly agree on about every little thing. I mean, I've mentioned seminary. I mean, I remember sitting in seminary classes and around people where they're debating, you know, in the creation. Well, God created the world in seven days, but was it seven literal days, like 24 hours, or was it figurative, or was it the days longer than? Was it the same calendar? And those are great things to discuss, and you may learn some things, but if you and I don't agree on whether it was 24 hours or 36 hours or 46 hours or whatever, that's okay. Like, some things it's okay to agree to disagree on, and it's not a big deal. However, think with me for just a minute about if the Quran is true in this regard. If Jesus didn't die, then what happens? Well, we've just explained that reconciliation happened in his body of flesh by his death. So if Jesus didn't actually die, then there's no peace, there's no reconciliation. Scriptures in Romans tell us the wages of sin is death. So if Jesus didn't die, the wages of sin have not been paid, which means if Jesus didn't die and pay that wage for my sin, then that means that I'm still in sin, which means that I have no salvation. So for me, what I believe about Jesus' death has heaven and hell at stake. It's a significant difference. It's something that matters what I believe about it's not whether the day was 24 hours or 36 hours or 48 hours heaven and hell are at stake and so to not agree with the bible over this makes a difference between heaven and hell I was talking with someone recently it was just a conversation in passing and something came up about actually one of the topics that we're talking about here. And they, I started to make a comment, which I felt was very appropriate, and they were like, hey, be careful, don't judge there. And I said, well, I said, can I explain to you just a minute why it's a big deal? And I explained in about 30 seconds why it was a big deal, and the person kind of looked back at me and very kind of shocked said, oh, I didn't know. And so I just would like to say that for us, her Christians, or if you're checking out Christianity, I just kind of want you to know why. It's a big deal, okay? Let's keep going and look at the next one. And again, there are other things about each of these religions and or cults. I'm just trying to give you some exposure. Again, remember that whole, we have a lot more to learn. You can go pull out your nerdy books and come sit with me, and I'm glad to read with you because I think it's awesome. Um, Let's look at some things that the documents that describe Mormonism say. One of the most fallacious doctrines, originated by Satan and propounded by man, is that man is saved alone by the grace of God. That belief in Christ Jesus alone is all that is needed for salvation. So it's saying that's not true. Jesus' sacrifice was not able to cleanse us from all our sins, murder and repeated adultery are exceptions. Good works are necessary for salvation. Again, some things taken from their documents. Now let's compare that with what we've just learned in the scriptures. In verse 14, we see that Jesus, it says that Jesus has given us redemption and forgiveness of sins. Verse 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, indicating that the cross is what has brought us peace. Verse 21 And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So clearly we see that Mormonism is saying, Jesus isn't enough, you need to add something to it. This passage is seeming to indicate that the cross and the resurrection have done all of it, have brought all the peace and reconciliation. So does it matter is Mormonism really that dangerous? Does it fall into the, uh oh, we just agree over how long the day was, or is it one of those things that we have to stop and say, like I did a couple weeks ago, do you mind if I explain to you why that's a big deal? And I explained why it was a big deal. Why is it so dangerous? If Jesus, who was perfect, couldn't cleanse us from our sins, how can imperfect people add something to that? If Jesus wasn't enough, We've just gone through all this, which totally blows my mind. If that isn't enough, what do I really, as an imperfect person, have to bring to the table? My good works are never going to match his. So if he can't do it all, it makes no sense that I have anything I can add. Therefore, if he didn't do it all and I don't have anything to add, there's no salvation. Heaven and hell are at stake here. So is it one of those we can agree to disagree on, or is it one of those where we have to lovingly say, hey, can I explain to you why it's a big deal? It's over here, isn't it? It's one of those we have to say, hey, heaven and hell are at stake. It's kind of a big deal. Let's talk about why our differences aren't minor. Okay, let's keep going. Another one from Jehovah's Witness. Jesus was Michael the archangel who became man. Jesus was only a perfect man, not God in flesh. We saw a lot through here, and I kind of told you this was coming. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was placed to dwell. This is just one place in scripture where we see taught that Jesus is God. Well, let's think for a minute. I mean, how big of a deal is it if you just say that Jesus was created? The Father created Jesus, and then Jesus created the rest of it. Is it really that big of a deal? Look with me. Why is it so dangerous? If Jesus isn't God and he isn't eternal, because, because the Father is eternal. If the Father's eternal and the wages of sin that I've earned is death against an eternal Father, I've sinned against this eternal being. Okay, if Jesus has come and he's died on the cross and been raised from the dead, but he's not eternal, then he can't ever match this. He can't atone for the wrath of a holy God because he's not eternal. He's not God. Whatever he can do can't reach here because he can't get there, which means he can't atone for my sin. He can't atone for the wrath of a holy God because he's not the same. He's not God. He's not enough. So if Jesus is a created being, You know, bigger than us, bigger than angels, but if he's a created being, then I'm still in my sin and there's no salvation. Heaven and hell are at stake. So hopefully, again, that's a few things just from real current times that I hope we can see. There's some plausible arguments, some things people say that are a big deal, very important. All right, another chocolate break. You guys have been doing great, so I'll use some chocolate. Who's going to be bold enough to come get some chocolate? No. Oh, Courtney. There we go. Let's go. Let's get some chocolate. Give your brain a break. Uh huh. Good job. Mm hmm. Oh, did you? I probably didn't. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> Wendy Lyon, I should have known. <laughs> Wendy was taking the whole bag, just so you know. Uh huh. Okay, so we've spent a little time, very little time, hopefully to perk your interest about a world religions class or heresies and cults class. Um. So let me also pull in some things to indicate. We have the Colossians, but some of these things that may appear to be new are things that have been going on a long time. And I want to kind of take us just for three or four minutes to church history class for a minute, because church history is awesome. Um, There was a guy named Arius in about 320. And uh, it's real interesting if you read church history and kind of watch the church develop, you have different people ...that start to pop up at different times and say different things. And Arius taught this. He taught that only God the Father was eternal. Does this sound familiar? He taught only God the Father was eternal. He was too pure and too infinite to appear on the earth. Therefore, God produced Christ the Son out of nothing... ...as the first and greatest creation. The Son is then the one who created the universe. Jesus, therefore, is not eternal and He's not equal to God. The conflict between Arianism and biblical beliefs was the first major doctrinal confrontation in the church. Arius' teaching that God the Son did not exist eternally, that Jesus was a divine being created by and therefore inferior to God the Father, means that there was a time in which Jesus did not exist. Okay, so what happened is Arius is saying all these things and has a pretty significant following. And there's some other people like Athanasius and others who are concerned about this. And they're saying, hey, wait a minute. First of all, it's not what the scripture says. And if that's true, we have a problem. So what happened, if you read church history, is quite frequently these heresies would come up. And what would happen is a council, a group of the church leaders at the time, would get together and they would discuss, okay, what's going on, what's biblical. And they often developed out of these creeds to illustrate what they stood for. And, I mean, it's so interesting to see God's sovereign hand through all of church history. I just think, because Arius was pretty powerful. It was a big deal. And what if it had gone the other way? You know, like what if the prevailing opinion in the church became this opinion? And Athanasius and all the others were kind of down here. I mean, huge deal, huge deal. So at this first ecumenical council that the church has they formulated the nicene creed which i've put on your sheet so you can see um, they speak about god then they speak about christ actually probably about 50 years later some attacks came against the holy spirit people attacking that the spirit is divine so they actually had a second council where they kind of added some things about the holy spirit and again the the right side one the biblical side one And so I want to just kind of walk through, um, again, some of this we would have to stay here all day to understand. But I want you to see how they put some key phrases in here to illustrate the fact that they did not agree with Arius. They said, no, Jesus is not created. He is eternal. And I want you to see how this appears. We um, we We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. And then it talks about how they're both God, they're both light, they're the true God, begotten, not made. Jesus was not made. He's of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. And it continues on to describe Jesus and his birth and his death and his resurrection. And so this creed is really, other than the ones we have in the scripture, the first great creed of church history. And interesting that some people who may have knocked on your door or that you've met before are saying some of these same things that happened and this creed was developed out of. So, um, man, isn't God's sovereign hand so fabulous? I mean, and because it's fabulous and because it's so significant is why we're talking about it tonight. It's not a small deal it makes the difference between heaven and hell, and it's really important that we know some of these things. Okay. Now, clearly we've already talked about um, a lot of these, or the first thing here. In addition to the fact that heaven and hell are at stake here, and it literally makes the difference, I want to just illustrate why it matters that we get some of these things right. I mean, it literally makes the difference between heaven and hell, which is a big reason. But why else does it make a difference that we get it right here are just some of them i've put down here on your sheet getting it wrong and i put in quotes deprives jesus of some of the glory and honor he should get i don't want to make it seem like jesus is living less of a life if we're not glorifying him the same way he's not changed and doing well but if you see (laughs) he's doing okay um but if you think about this and about who he is, and I've given you several scriptures on your verse sheet, Psalm 86, 9, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Romans 11:36, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Revelation 4:11, Worthy are you, our Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Think about it for just a minute. If I, I mean, you're already very excited with and want to honor me just because I've brought the chocolate, right? But how much more would you want to honor and praise me if you thought I had created chocolate, (laughs) made the chocolate at home, came up with the whole idea, thought about putting peanut butter with it? I I mean, if you think about it, it makes a difference as to whether I just picked up and brought the chocolate or whether I did all of that. It makes a difference in the degree to which we want to and should and are able to praise and glorify God when we see and know him in his fullness. If we think of him as slightly less, we'll still give him some because he's better than us, but not as much as we should. The next one, the essence... Of your, oh, sorry, I didn't have that up there. Number three, the essence of your entire life is on the line. John 17, 3, y'all probably know this is my favorite verse. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. If my life is defined by knowing Christ, and I'm not rightly thinking about Christ, then I don't know him rightly, and the entire essence of my life is changed. Also, To glorify God and enjoy him forever is the purpose of our life. We just talked about how if we don't know Jesus rightly, we can't glorify him rightly. Even though 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The entire essence of our life is impacted by whether we know Jesus rightly. Also, our joy is at stake, number four. I've given you three verses there about how... um, God is our exceeding joy. I'll just read one. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The in, our joy is at stake. If we're worshiping a created being who did part of salvation, but not all of it, that's a different kind of and level of joy than if he's the God of the universe that did all this. My joy is greatly impacted. Number five, um, I know that this is a bold statement, but I feel like as we've gotten to this point, I had to be this direct, not just for ourselves, but for others. If we don't get it right, you can mislead others and contribute to them living purposeless because we've just described how our purpose is related to glorifying and enjoying God. You lead them into a purposeless, pointless. They've missed the whole point of the universe. Their lives are wasted, and not only does it impact it here, but you're setting them up for a miserable eternity. I know that's pretty direct, but I feel like as we've gone along, we, we have to reach that conclusion, not just for ourselves, but for others that are around us. And frankly, verse 6, I mean, if we don't get it right, look at who we miss out on. I don't know about you. Reading this gives me chills. Jesus is hands down the most fabulous person ever. Knowing him is the most humbling, awe-inspiring, cool thing in my life. I I talked to him today. I read his word and he talked back. Everything was created for him talked to him today a lot he held me together he is hands down the coolest person I've ever met and man I don't I don't want to miss out I don't want other people to miss out either to close with me I'd love for us to um if you would all stand with me I'd love for us to just close instead of with a prayer I'd like this to be maybe our praise of benediction, the creeds. I don't know if any of you did. I did. I grew up in a church where there were lots of creeds and liturgies, and if we had time, I'd make us say the Nicene Creed, too, but I'm going to go with Scripture above the Nicene Creed, even though the Nicene Creed's cool. Um, But we said creeds all the time, and a lot of times, I I don't know, they just get so rote. You ignore them, and sometimes you just read them, but I hope that as we read this, and I'm going to try, if I can, to set a tone that's kind of slow, because I'd like just to be um, with, with all of us just kind of our prayer and praise of worship and I'm not going to stand on the stage because I want to praise Jesus with you so we can all look up I'll stand by sweet Adelaide alright he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless in a broad reproach before him. Amen. See you guys next week.